Well, it was almost two years ago that I found myself in a really dark place spiritually. I had veered off into a place that I never imagined that I would be. I was spiritually, probably the best way to put it was in a sense spiritually depressed. I found myself where I didn't want to read my Bible. In fact, I probably couldn't have told you the last time that I opened God's Word. I uh, didn't want to pray and couldn't remember the last time that I prayed. And I just did not feel any connection or intimacy with the Lord. Just to be brutally honest with you. It's been almost two years ago. I didn't know how I got there and wasn't exactly sure how I was going to get out of it. I just knew I was in a really bad place spiritually. All along, I'm serving in ministry. This would have been 25 years of ministry that I'd been serving in. I was serving, uh, overseeing church planting for Chicago, for the largest denomination um, church planting network in the world. And so here I am um, with this weighty responsibility and feeling like I have uh, nothing spiritually going on. I felt a great deal of shame, and I was incredibly afraid of everything that I could lose if anybody found out. It was a really dark place to be in. It was, uh, again, not a place that I ever imagined I would be, and I wasn't sure how I got there. It felt as though uh, things were just out of alignment. I don't know if you've ever driven a car where the wheels are out of alignment, where you, you let go of the steering wheel and the car begins to just move to the side. That's how my spiritual life felt. I, again, I don't remember when it happened. It just very slowly began to merge, and I just woke up one day and found myself in the ditch. I'm like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know what happened. I just know things aren't right. But I knew that I didn't want to be there anymore. I just woke up and I'm like, I, I can't stay here. And it wasn't just out of fear. It was just like, I, this is not right, and I, I can't be here anymore. Someone asked me uh, along this journey, not too long after that, they, said, they asked me this question. They said, um, when, when God thinks about you, what do you think that he thinks? Because God does think about us, right? So when he thinks about it, he's asking me, when God thinks about you, what do you think he thinks? And my answer was, I think God is disappointed in me. I think he's disappointed in me. And if I were honest with you, I would say that most of my Christian life, I felt like that. Like I could just never quite measure up to God's expectations in my life. That God was perpetually disappointed when he looked at me, he just thought, you were such a disappointment to me. I could never be where he wanted me to be. And I didn't want to live like that anymore. But I didn't know how to change. I literally did not have any idea how to change. When I say change, I don't mean superficial changes. 
Like, I didn't want to read my Bible one day, and then the next day, I, I really wanted to muster up enough energy. Like, I didn't want it to be just superficial change. I meant real transformative change in my heart and my mind and my spirit. I wanted my thinking to change. I wanted my values to change. I wanted my passions to change. I wanted to change incredibly deeply. I wanted my desires to change. I wanted what Paul called being transformed by the renewing, by the metamorphosis of my mind. That's what I wanted. I wanted that kind of deep change. I don't know if you've ever been there, maybe not quite to the extent that I found myself two years ago, but I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe you've been in a place where you're just like, I just so badly want to change. I'm tired of this life that I'm living. I'm tired of the disappointment. I'm tired to feel like I'm always feel like I'm spiritually depressed. Maybe it's a, an addiction that you just feel like I can never quite shake. Maybe it's patterns of, of behavior from things that were from your family, family. You're just like, I wish I didn't have to live the same patterns that my parents lived. Maybe it's forgiving someone or yourself for past pain or hurt. Or maybe it's one of the, the areas that was mentioned last week out of Colossians 3 that we talked about. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, or covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, or obscene talk from your mouth. Maybe it's one of those things. You're just like, I just so desperately want to change. I want for myself and I want for you what Colossians 3 talks about. It's seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. My goal, your goal in this life, in sanctification, is to look more and more like Jesus for the glory of God. Removing our old self like old clothes. But these aren't just old clothes that are tattered and worn. These are, these are clothes of death. This is like a death shroud that you wore in your flesh, that your own sinful desires, your own fleshly way, you wear this shroud of death upon you. And to take that off, to throw it away, to get rid of it, to have it burned and, and gone forever, and then to put on these new clothes of righteousness, these garments of grace. That's what I want for myself. Before telling us the good news of Romans 8, Paul identifies with our weakness and our pain, wanting to remove these old clothes of death so that we can put on these new clothes of righteousness. He identifies with the pain that we have. And if, and if anyone knows the, the struggle and the pain of change, it's Paul, right? Paul went through probably the biggest change of, of any of the one we can see within Scripture, right? Being one who is an enemy of Christ, now being transformed into an apostle for Christ. Paul knows the pain and the struggle of wanting to get rid of your old life and the shame and the death clothes that we once wore and to now walk in righteousness and put on new clothes. Paul knew it all too well. You see, his Christian life, it wasn't as though he snapped a finger and it was all over, right? It was a constant struggle that he took on. 
We find that in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if you do what now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my in my flesh. Hear this, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Do you hear that from the Apostle Paul? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I mean, can you hear the anguish that Paul has in this? He's like, this is a battle that's waging in me. I so badly want to change. I so badly want to do what's right and what's good, but I've got this battle that's waging, and it's this flesh that keeps tearing me back and forth. Paul says, I try and I try. I want to change. I want to do what's right. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I have the desire to do what is right, what is good, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody else with me? I have the desire to do it, but I do not have the ability to carry it out. It's like the story of my life. I think it's best illustrated by something Charles Spurgeon preached. He said, he said it was the custom of ancient tyrants when they wished to put men in the most fearful punishments to tie a dead body to them. Placing the two back to back, and there was a living man with a dead body closely strapped to him, rotting, putrid, corrupting, and that he must drag with him wherever he went. Now this is just what the Christian has to do. He has within him the new life, and he has the living, undying principle which the Holy Spirit has put within him. But he feels that every day he has to drag about him this dead body, this body of death, a thing of loathsome, as hideous and abominable as his new life, as a dead, stinking carcass would be to a living man. You get that? We have new life, but somehow we've got this dead, rotting, putrid carcass of our old life that is chained to us and it feels like it's impossible to escape i have the desire but i do not have the ability how do we change how do we really change transformative not superficial how do we really change with this old, dead, rotting corpse of our flesh strapped to us. 
Paul tells us in Romans 8 by comparing and contrasting the battle between our flesh and our spirit. Not our spirit, the spirit. He says in Romans 8, looking at verse 5, this is our text for the day, and let me just tell you, Romans 8 is like a treasure trove, <laughs> like it is probably uh, the chapter in all of Scripture, in New Testament, that has more in it than any other passage. It is packed full. So we're just going to look really quickly at a couple of things today. So please don't think that we're trying to do uh, a complete exegesis of Romans chapter 8. It's, not, it's impossible in one night, right? But Romans chapter 8, verse 5, we're going to look at a couple of things. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on, th- on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's impossible. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's really two truths that I want to center on tonight that comes out of this passage. Just two Again, there's so much more, but two I want to focus on tonight. The first one is this, and it is, this is a fact that we need to have securely uh, fixed in our mind, because this helps us to understand the theology of change, and it is this one truth. You cannot change yourself. You cannot change yourself. It is impossible for you to change yourself. Now, there are some things that you can change almost kind of in a surface level. There are things that, of course, you can say, because it's, uh, I think, in fact, Steve pointed this out last week when he preached. He's like, we, we understand that non-Christian people can change things, right? It's not as though Christians have the corner on the market on change, right? You could probably change some simple things, but it's probably more about behavior modification than anything else. Now, my wife, Lori, who's sitting right down here, yes, you can say hi to her later, not right now, but um, she is a board-certified behavior analyst. That sounds really fancy, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it does. I don't understand what she does half the time. But, um, so, but here's the thing is that um, she has trained me so well in her behavior modification that she can simply ring a bell and I do the dishes. <laughs> that's how good she really is. Actually, that's not true at all. She, she can't do that. But I do do the dishes a lot more than I ever have in my life. So there's some things that she's doing, but she's so good, I have no idea what it is. But here's the thing. If, I really, if that really did happen, if she could ring a bell and I do the dishes, it would not deepen my love or affection for her. It would just be behavior modification. I would just do it. Because she trained me how to do it. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about real, deep, transformative change in our hearts and minds. It's the kind of thing that changes your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. Everything about you changes. Everything. And when it comes to that kind of deep, transformative change, it cannot be done with self-help or or mere behavior modification. It cannot be done. It can't happen in the flesh. That's what Paul's telling us here in Romans chapter 8. It cannot be done in the flesh. You can't rely on your good merit, on your own righteousness, on your goodness, or by following the law. He says it is impossible, impossible 
to see real transformative change happen in your life. You cannot change yourself. By setting your mind on the flesh, he says, we are hostile to God. We do not, and in fact, we cannot submit to God's law. It is impossible. We discover that it's impossible to please God, and then it will ultimately lead to death. Anything we try to do in our own flesh, in our own power, it ultimately leads to death. You don't have the power to change yourself. And I don't have the power to change myself. It's like turning to that rotting, dead corpse that you're dragging around and asking, hey, uh, what do you think I should do? And although dead, right, that corpse that you're dragging around, that old flesh self of yours, right, even though it's dead, it's still talking to you, right? It's still talking to you. And it tells you things like, hey, just, let's just clean ourselves up just a little bit and we're going to be okay. Or, hey, why don't we change this old death garment that we're running around? Why don't we, why don't we patch up some of the holes or why don't we, why don't we you know, fix it up a little bit and, it, and we're going to be better? Or why don't we make sure that the outside of us looks better, right? That we look good on the outside. Or, hey, let's just blame some other people, right? Let's take the focus off of like this dead part of us and let's just shift the blame on somebody else, right? Like on your parents or on your spouse or on your friends or your coworkers. Like, let's just let's just have let's divert attention to that, right? To all their problems. This fleshly body of death will continue to lie to you and try to convince you that all you need is a little cleaning up. But friends, let me tell you this. You don't need a better life. You need a new one. You weren't sick. You were dead. And no amount of cleaning that up is going to get the stink off of you. It's dead. You are dragging around a fleshly dead carcass. And it's going to continue to lie to you and telling you, no, we can handle this. We can do this. We can fix it up. It's a lie. It's a lie. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. The Spirit of God dwells in you and is the real power for change. The Spirit of God dwells in you and has the real power for change. He says in verse 9, he says, you, however, so he's transitioning out of this old, he's talking about the old flesh and the fight that we're having in this battle, battle, but he says, you, however, what? Are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. There is a clause, but we need to understand the clause is that we can walk by the Spirit, we can have the Spirit in us, but that means we have to, in fact, have the Spirit in us. We have to belong to Jesus in order for that to happen. Verse 10, but if, in, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. It's not because of what we do, it's because of Christ's righteousness that we take on this new life, this new Spirit. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The entirety of Romans 8 and I want to encourage you to read Romans 8 this week. The entirety of that particular chapter gives testimony to the power of the Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit gives us no condemnation status. The Holy Spirit frees us from sin and death. The Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill the law. The Holy Spirit changes our nature. The Holy Spirit empowers us for victory over the sin. The Holy Spirit confirms our identity as children of God. The Holy Spirit guarantees our eternal glory. The Holy Spirit aids our prayers. The Holy Spirit fulfills the will of God in us. He is the one who produces repentance and faith, and he is the one who regenerates us into new life. He is the one who applies the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In addition to our dead, rotting, constant companion chained to us, we also have another companion. The spirit that is at work in you. The same spirit that saves you is the same spirit that changes you. He is not reduced to your salvation story. He is beyond just your conversion. He is what brings you to glorification when Jesus calls you home. He is at work in you at your salvation. He is at work in you right now because the same Spirit who brought Jesus back from the dead is alive and is dwelling in you right now. That's power. How do we change? Through the Spirit who dwells in you. This is a key phrase here because it's repeated twice. That he dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Consider that just for a moment, would you? If you had to choose who was best equipped and empowered to change you, would you, change, would you, would you choose you, your flesh, that rotting corpse that you're dragging around, would you choose you or would you, cha- would you choose the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead? I'm going to pick the spirit every day. Because I know I can't do it. I have no power in of myself. No power. So how does this work? How do we cooperate with the Holy Spirit for change in our life? Let me just tell you, there's no formula for this. It is not a, an A plus B equals change. It doesn't happen that way. But it is a posture that we take. It is a posture that we take. And so let's look at, uh, back at Romans 7 and then Romans 8 for um, just four really quick application points. The first one is this. We must take a posture of confession, and our confession must be that we are powerless, and we must be pleading for God's help. That we are powerless, and we must plead for God's help. Paul says in Romans 7, verse 24, wretched man and I, who will deliver me from this body of death? That should be our posture. 
That should be our posture. What a wretched man am I. This, this stinking, rotting corpse I'm dragging around, I have no help in him or her. She's nothing, doing nothing but dragging me down, telling me lies. I am a wretched man. I'm a wretched woman. Who's going to save me from this body of death? That was my first step in seeing real transformation in my life. Admitting that I could not fix myself. That I was powerless. I'd come to the end of myself and all of my self-effort, and I was just like at a point of like, God, I just, I give up. I give up. I can't do this anymore. I mean, I, I remember those moments where, and I still have those moments almost every day, where I need to remind myself, like, I can't do this. My default is self-effort. My, my default is self-help. Like, I can just fix myself up a little bit, right? That's my default. But I have to constantly put myself in this posture of prayer, of pleading and powerlessness and saying, God, I just can't do this anymore. I remember the moment where I realized that I was in such deep despair and I didn't know how to get out of it. I wanted to change, but I didn't have the ability to change myself. I remember the kind of prayer that I had, and I had it almost every day for, it felt like months. And it was this simple prayer, God, I give up. (laughs) I give up. I don't know what else to do. And so my simple prayer was this, God, if you want something different in me, you're going to have to do the work. You're going to have to do the work. Now, it felt like kind of a selfish prayer because I was putting it all on God. But here's what I found out. God can handle that. He can handle that. When we are powerless, he is powerful. He doesn't mind us saying, hey, I give up here. I'm waving the white flag. Like, if, if you're going to change me, you do it. If you want me to read my Bible, you got to create something in me that wants me to do it. If you want me to pray, you're going to have to help me feel the desire to even want to get out of bed and begin to utter a prayer. Maybe some of you are there. You're just like, I just, I just can't anymore. Let me just tell you, that is the perfect place where God can begin to really transform your heart. When you just confess and admit God, I can't do this without you. That's when his Holy Spirit just comes and takes over. I don't have time for this tonight, but I cannot tell you what that prayer has done to transform my life. What it has done to transform my life. So we understand that we need to confess our powerlessness and plead God for help. The other posture we need to take, the other kind of thing that we need to begin doing is we need to, we need to begin preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day. We need to ask that question of the Lord, who will, who will deliver me from this body of death? You notice it's a not what will deliver me, it's a Who? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul asks that question, right? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers the question the very next verse in verse 25. He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Then he immediately transitions to chapter 8, and he begins with this. 
There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of the life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He's just repeating it again. It's impossible for us to do this on our own. By sending his own son. See, this is gospel. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Man, that is gospel right there. It is gospel. We need to hear that preached over us every single day to remind us like, I can't do this, but thank God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who took his own righteousness and placed it upon us through the power of the Spirit. I can overcome sin and death, and I don't feel like I have to be able to conquer sin and the flesh on my own. We must daily remind ourselves of our identity in Christ and the Spirit that is, in work, that is at work in us. You are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. You have to know that and preach that over yourself or have someone preach it over you when you can't mutter the words anymore. That rotting flesh you drag around is not the real you anymore. It's not. You need to be reminded that daily that you are being presently being renewed by the Spirit. Right now, God is at work renewing you. Even the days that you don't feel like God's doing anything, you don't feel like you're being changed, you need to have preached over you, know that God is at work in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he is absolutely at work in you. Absolutely. The other thing that we must do is we must set our mind on things of the spirit. Verse 5 says, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind of the, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is what? It's life and peace. We know how we get life. It is by setting our mind on the things of the spirit. Now, there are, there are many ways to set your mind on the things of the spirit. And, and in fact, we're over the next several weeks um, through the end of June, where we're going to be talking about the ways that we set our mind on the things of the spirit. So I don't want to ruin the surprise for you, but um, it's some spiritual disciplines, reading our Bible. Uh, prayer. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? There's a lot of ways in which God is at work in, in changing us, right? It's a thing, some of those things that you expect, and then there are some things that perhaps you're unaware of in which God is using to change you and to transform you. And we're going to be talking about more of those things in the weeks to come. But know this. If you are to be holy, if you are to become a new creature, creature then you must begin with Christ. You must begin with Christ. You will do nothing at all and make no progress until you feel, until you feel the sin and weakness and flee to him. He is a root and the beginning of all holiness. And the way to be holy is to come to him by faith and to be joined by him. You need to know that. It is about being in Christ that is the root of all holiness. So set your mind on things of the Spirit. And then the last thing is this. We submit to the power of the Spirit dwelling in us. We submit. 
the power of the Spirit dwelling in us. One, one of the questions that I typically get is, um, when, I, when I talk about something like this, is, you know, like, don't, don't I have some kind of responsibility in this? Like, I, I get it that I can't change myself, right? I have no power in myself. Like, all I've got is this dead, rotting carcass. Like, so what's my responsibility in this? And that's a fair question. You know, is, is, is change God's work or is it mine? And the answer is yes. It is yes. Life in the Spirit means that we do not do growth without Him. It also means He does not do growth without us. The miracle of the Holy Spirit's invasion in our lives is that He is at work within us to change us and to lead us and guide us, but there still is an us. It's a great quote by Henry Cloud. How does this work? Man, to be honest, I've struggled with this, especially over the last couple of years where there's been times when I've just had to take a posture of like, God, I just give up. I can't do this. I have no power. You're going to have to take over this. But I always wrestle with like, but don't I have to do something? Like, I feel like I have some responsibility in this. Like, like and, and you understand, like, it's not just to sit on the couch and to go, okay, God, do whatever you want, right? It's not that. But it's this odd thing of, 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 of being active, not passive, but yet being surrendered but yet, lead, it's this strange thing. The only way that, I could, that, I, that I've been able to figure out a good illustration for it is this. Has anybody taken dance classes before? I see you shaking your head no, and I know that's not true. So, um, <laughs> Lorianne got busted. Anyway, um, so if you've taken dance classes before, so my wife, Lori, has taken me to dance class before, um, maybe just once, and it was bad. I would tell you that. Um, we went to this place, it doesn't matter, it's in West Loop. She took me and we ate dinner and that was fine. I really liked the dinner part, of course. But then um, we're supposed to do salsa dancing, was that right? Oh gosh, that was bad. That was bad. So we started out, they have it, so there's a class first, you take the class and then, then it's open dance and everybody can kind of dance around, do whatever they want, right? So we get in there and like, I'm just, I'm a terrible dancer. Like, if I'm dancing by myself, I'm awesome, right? Dancing with somebody else is bad, really bad. I like two left feet. I just can't get it. And then, of course, they put in us a line, and her and I are paired up when we're dancing, and then they say switch. You're supposed to move down, and then both of us panic like, oh, my gosh, whoever's with me is going to die in this moment. It's going to be horrible, right? So, um, but here's the thing is that when you're with a dance instructor that shows you how to do it, right, like you... You, you put your hand in their hand, right? And then you look down and you like follow the steps of their feet, right? So one, two, three, four, right? I could probably do the waltz. That's probably about the extent that I could do, right? I could probably do the waltz. And so I'm, you, you listen to the music, you, you follow, but the, the deal is, is that if you're learning how to dance, you, all you're doing is you're submitting to wherever the teacher takes you. You're, you're listening for the steps, you're listening for the music, you're listening for their cues. Like, I'm doing something, I'm participating. It's not like I'm just sitting around going, show me how to dance, right? No, I have to be actively participating in it because I want to learn. But I have to be so acutely aware that to listen so carefully, to listen to the rhythm of, of the music and to watch the steps. Are you guys following me? And that's, that's a little bit of the work that we do with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's alive and he is working in us, but it is not my song and it is not my dance. 
what I'm doing is I am just listening so carefully. And I'm listening through scripture, I'm listening through prayer, I'm listening through, through you know, whatever means that I can, but I am completely surrendered to my dance instructor. And he is a master at dance. Oh man, if I could just, if I could just give myself over and say, teacher, teach me, I want to learn. But that's my prayer for all of us. That's my prayer, that God is leading the way. He is through his Holy Spirit. He's put it in us. He is leading the way. And we are either resisting or we are listening and submitting to the changes that he's making in our lives. My prayer is that we're all listening. We're all dancing and we're all enjoying what it's like to follow the Spirit. He wants to change you. He does. He wants to teach you some new things. He wants to transform your life. And just listen to me. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible. It's impossible. But we have a wonderful teacher, and he wants to teach us today. Let's pray together.